Hello, and welcome to Why This, a Nexus Arts podcast. Why This is a series of conversational interviews with arts workers from an eclectic variety of areas within the industry and an eclectic range of career levels as well. We'll be talking with people who have reached great success, as well as those who are just starting out. My name is Aaron Chupin, and I am the media manager here at Nexus Arts, an intercultural organization in Adelaide, South Australia. I also work in the film industries, and why this is a question I ask aloud to myself at least once a month. Of all the paths to choose, why did I choose this one? The arts industry is a rocky road at the best of times, and I wanted to celebrate those who pursue it as their work. I know I'm not the only one who asks themselves why this, and in my role here at Nexus, I'm blessed to interact with artists from a wide variety of disciplines and backgrounds and have that conversation with them, and I wanted to share that with you, the listener. Our first guest is Nelia Valamanesh. Nelia is an emerging writer and filmmaker, amongst many other things that I'll let her lay out for herself. We had a great chat about her pathway that got her to where she is now, about the power of story to enable difficult conversations, the importance of representation, and just how great the movie Clueless is. She has great answers to some of my questions and even throws a couple back at me that stumped me and left me pondering for several days. And isn't that, at the end of the day, what great conversation is about? But enough from me. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Nelia Valamanesh. There's a little bit of language in this episode, but it is all within a good context. Welcome, Nelia. Thank you for being our test subject, our first guest on the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, I guess, could you introduce yourself to the listeners? You do um, a myriad of things. Maybe tell us what you do with your life. Um, I do lots of things. Making films, so working on film sets, uh, writing um, for film and television. I also DJ on the weekends, um, you know, filling up the dance floors. And, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, and work in festivals. Yeah, that's <laughs> I work in festivals as well, doing uh, front of house supervising and just a myriad of other things in the arts. Yeah. Great. It's a bit of a common story, I think, for people that work in the arts industry that you do have a, a long resume of different skill sets and things that you do. Has this always been the case? Um, yes, it always has been the case. I have a really bad tendency not to say no to things. Like, I totally forgot I also work in theatre, uh, for example, um, that, yeah, it really just takes up your whole realm, I guess. Like, I'm so excited to just do lots of different projects and always change my surroundings and the people I'm around and, and you know, learn new things and experience new things. So I guess, like, yeah, that's my um, cross the bear. <laughs> I guess out of all of the things that you do, you must have one or two that, sort of stand out as the real passion yeah I think I really want to tell stories I want to tell stories from my perspective um especially in a place like Australia I feel like people like myself and uh don't really get the you know get to be seen on television not only seen but also work behind the scenes um for the viewers at home I am not a Caucasian white person I'm actually Iranian Australian um and so as a child you know I did look up in the tv and not really see many people that looked like myself so that was one of the main reasons why I decided to get into film and actually go back into the film because um a lot of people in the arts they will have a time in their life where they will just go nah I'm done I can't do this anymore it's too hard (laughs) 
and get a regular nine to five job, but that doesn't usually last that long. And that was definitely the case for me. That's interesting. That was a question I wanted to ask you. Um, I'll come back to what was going to be my first question, but there is always that struggle and the hard times that it is. It is very, very hard anywhere in the world, but particularly in Australia, to break into the industries that you know that you are pursuing. I guess what keeps you coming back? I guess like the main struggle is really like that um, that support. You know, whether it be financial, whether it be. Um, support of the people around you yours you know the security like you know I don't want to go down that whole stereotype of oh the parents want you to have like a regular job but that's it's kind of true when it's not your parents it's really your own internal like mindset of like thinking you're not good enough really Mm because you see all this stuff being made and you're like oh my god like I want to make stuff like that am I good enough and then you just sit there in front of your computer and you're like okay now right (laughs) And then it just goes out of your head and you're just sitting there going, can I actually do this? Am I actually good enough? So I think a lot of it has to do with your own perseverance. Um, why I stick with it is because when I have ideas, pe- people I tell the ideas to usually say that's a fantastic idea and I really want to see it and their minds don't change after a couple of months, you know, and people, you know, Thankfully, I've had um, a really good support group around me of friends that do work in the industry and don't work in the industry, both telling me that I can do it. And I think that's the best thing to have is that support group. Um, Yeah, and support financially, you know, like arts organisations giving you opportunities, like Writers SA has given me some opportunities as well. Yeah, can you tell us a bit about, you know, what's been going on (laughs) with you Um, and, and your career in the last year or so? There's been some big, big yeah, things for you. Yeah, it's been pretty big. I've uh, worked. I finally uh, kind of cracked the the ceiling, I guess, for myself, like my own personal ceiling, of you know just being a writer in your room. Because um, a lot of the times I've been kept being told, "I'll oh, just make it, just make it low budget, like just make it." Like, and I'm like, "Well, I don't have." the skills or the people around me that I can make it. And also low-key, I was like, I don't want to make it low-budget because I feel like in my head this is like a bigger thing and I didn't want to kind of give it that low-budget look. Is this a particular project? Particular... Can, can you tell us about this publicly or is this... Yeah, well, yes, I can. It's called Five Rules to Being a Fuck Girl. Actually, it's only called Rules to Being a Fuck Girl now because uh, it's six episodes. Okay, there's more than five <laughs> rules, changed. I'm sure. Yeah, it's changed. It's just rules now. Um, so it's a web series. The idea came to me about four, four years ago um, after realising that um, myself and some of my friends that I, I lived with, actually, we kept being in these kind of like boring relationships where we kind of like felt a bit drained and that, you know... They're like, you know, our partner's careers were going further and we were just kind of stuck, um, you know, supporting and being in these relationships where, like, we didn't feel like we could pursue our careers. Um, and so I was just like, you know what, you can be selfish and just go, you know what, I'm going to be stay single and we made a bet that we're going to stay single for a whole year and... That turned into something that brought out a lot of funny anecdotes about uh, relationships, dating, you know, like the weird things that happen, especially like um, 
for myself, being a woman of colour, um, a lot of people that I would go on dates with <laughs> would assume that I wanted a relationship or I wanted it to go further right. um, because of cultural stereotypes. Um, and, yeah, it was just really funny. It was kind of like owning being a single person that didn't want to be in a relationship and how did that look like for women and women of colour and just women in general, really. Um, because we're always kind of put in this box of, oh, that girl's always going to try and trap you. Like, we always want a relationship. We want to settle down. We want to get married and have kids. And it's like, you know what? Nah, I want to have a secure, like, career first before mm-hmm. I even even think about that if I want that. Um, so, yeah. And we just made jokes about the interactions we had with men in general. Um, and then also throughout that, I started questioning my own sexuality because um, I was like, why am I having these lame relationships? And it's like, maybe it's because I don't just like men. <laughs> there you go. So that kind of came out as well. So um, it is a little bit of a personal thing, but also I felt like a lot of other people related to it. Um, and so Fuck Girls was uh, born. It's really interesting. That kind of relates back to what you were saying about growing up and looking for, I guess, representation, mm. people that looked or sounded or felt like yourself. Can we go back to part of why this is, was there a falling in love with this world moment or was it gradual? How did you find this path? Um, I really found the path in art through music, really. As a kid, I was really drawn to like um, rock music, punk, um, the metalcore scene was a big thing. Um, in Adelaide mm-hmm. when I was growing up um, and when I was in year 12 uh, doing music uh, my I had the ch- chance to do an independent study for my course to get my grade and I came up to my music teacher and was like I want to do it on the punk scene in Adelaide and what it looks like now versus the 90s um, and my teacher was like why don't you do something about Iranian culture, like <laughs> Iranian music, you know, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Would you be saying this to anyone else? Um, but then I was like, you know what? She might have a point. Like, I don't know much about Iranian music. Um, you know, I grew up here, I listened to it, and it was more like an eye roll moment when my dad would put music on. I'd be like, oh, this stuff, like, don't want to hear this. I want to hear, like, you know, no effects, <laughs> like, which is really funny now because I reckon I'd probably prefer the opposite now. Um... So, yeah, I made a film, um, a documentary about Iranian music in Adelaide and if there was people making Persian music um, and what it looked like, who they were, what they do, that kind of thing. Um, And I was quite fascinated with the whole idea of editing and putting together a direct, like, directing and creating a piece of, you know, art, which is film. And, yeah, from there I kind of fell in love with making films. But not only that, I really wanted to be a music producer. So I wanted to be like Timberland. So uh, I, instead of going straight into film school, I actually went to Radio Adelaide and had my own radio show about young voices from um, different cultures, like non-Anglo backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, I really decided that I wanted to work in sound in film, so... That's really where it started in music and in film. So it kind of makes sense that I'm a DJ as well as a writer now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I think there's a, there's a bit of a, um, 
uh, there's a there's a false uh, idea in all um, arts industries is that people can sort of be one thing in that world. A writer is a writer, a painter is a painter. I think even like, you know, within the visual arts, you know, the perception that, you know, someone is one very specific aspect of all those things. But the truth is like most people I talk to do have, you know, multiple uh, things that they do to fulfill all those, those needs. And they all, they're all part of the one form of expression or communicating to an audience. It's all storytelling. It's all storytelling, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, went to maps as lots of uh, people do in Adelaide, and uh, can you tell us what uh, maps is for maps people that don't is, know? Uh, it's a bit of a hidden secret. People don't is really it? know. I think so. Yeah, people, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, I kind of grew around, grew up knowing people that went to it, so it wasn't so much. But uh, it's kind of like a technical school, really. So it's like a film. Actually, started as a radio and film school, actually. Um, but it's a technical school in Adelaide where like people learn about film by doing it really it's all hands-on you just make a shit ton of short films during the year and yeah it's kind of like a sink or swim situation yeah i was always quite envious i went to university to, to study film and i had friends that were at maps and they just seemed to be like making things and just learning on the job whereas the university system sort of taught us a lot of theory first it was hard to get our hands on the tools, but you guys were just out there shooting and shooting and shooting. But we were out there shooting a lot of shit. Um, That's the best way to learn. It, is, it teaches yeah. you to fail too, which it's, I think is the it crucial is true. thing. We failed a lot. Um, but yeah, it was really good. I did learn a lot about the way the industry works and, you know, I did get experience on sets um, during that time. But I found myself kind of wanting more of like the whys and the kind of the aspects of film that we didn't really go into, like the writing and why do we choose these films? What is the market like that, you know, that kind of like marketability of filmmaking mm-hmm. and the process of getting money to make mm-hmm. films. Um, and also just like I really did pray for that theory um, mm-hmm. because, you know, the way humans tick is really interesting and I feel like that was one thing that um, of someone that went to uni and studied film probably got a little bit more of than, say, someone that went to maths. So I think they both have their place. For sure. Yeah. For sure. That's interesting that uh, talking about the way people tick, that's kind of what the writing process is all about. Totally. Right? Is kind of figuring that out. I don't want to lead you too much, but is that... Yeah. That's what led you towards writing it? So after MAPS, I worked on a couple of films um, and then I kind of sat in it and I was like, you know what, I keep getting put in these like art department roles and it's not really what I wanted to do. I didn't really find it um, enjoyable enough. And when I came up with my own ideas and I was like, I really want to write this, no one wanted to do it with me, this is... um, Probably, you know, people were always like, oh, I don't really relate to this story because a lot of the stuff I would talk about was being brown <laughs> um, and in Australia. And so I didn't really find my click and I think that's really important in film and any arts really is like finding that click that you connect with. Um, not saying that, you know, the people around me weren't, you know, Do you mean click as in like QUE, as in your collaborators? Yeah, yeah, like mm. my collaborators. I didn't find my collaborators at MAPS, so I was still a bit, like, alone in um, what I wanted to do, so I kind of, you know, fell off the wagon, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, creatively and just got like a nine to five job at a place um, in the city and yeah and then I remember the Oscars So White thing came out mm. and I'd fit, I'd quit that nine to five job because I was so bored which doesn't surprise me at all um, and I was like nah screw this and go back to uni and I went to uni and literally did an English and creative writing course with um, a lot of sociology subjects and anthropology subjects. Oh, that's a I good wanted... combination. Yeah. Um, so I really wanted to f- wanted to talk about like you know like oral history like mm. of like the common people. Do you know what I mean? Like not to sound like I'm not a part of the common people. I'm definitely a part of them. But I also wanted to tell those stories that you know don't really get seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that I really found interesting when I was studying this, was the fact that in history, we only really have the written knowledge from, like, the higher-up, the elite, right? We don't know back in the Middle Ages what, you know, the local chump person was doing, (laughs) you know? The people farming, not even the farmers, like, the people that are just making, like, stuff or, like, just hanging out, I don't know. And, yeah, we, um, we have the kings and queens yeah, versions of history. We don't have the regular peeps. Mm. And that was really a moment where I was like, you know what, if you look at TV and film from, like, you know, any era, we only see the the society that was ruling. And in mm. a way, if you look at Home and Away and Neighbours and the way people see Australia, they're seeing that Australia from the ruling class, Mm. you know, not saying that they're, you know, kings and queens, but they are the class that have the most power, the most privilege, and we don't really see the others. Sure. So that's really, I was like, that's pretty interesting. That sounds almost like a, uh, like a mission statement for your for your work somewhat. Oh, I need to change my bio. <laughs> well, it's I've been I've been sort of tying a few threads you've been getting at together in my head and um, we spoke about the fear or the or the blockage that happens when you sit down and you're staring at the blank page and you're thinking I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. And um, I find I work in a bunch of different mediums as well and trying to create from that negative mindset is just it's essentially it's impossible. But finding a switch up and finding, I guess, that mission statement for mm-hmm. what it is you're trying to get at. But you're also thinking about the audience mm-hmm. as well. And suddenly it's not as... Um, you know, it's not that as easy. We, yeah. It's what? It's not that easy anymore. When you're thinking about the audience, mm. I feel like... Because you think of so many people, but really that, that in itself is a block. Um, okay. I've been like, you know, the amount of times I've been told oh but what we need for a large market audience but really the things that you see on tv that really connect to you Mm. are the niche yeah the ones that you think that are only going to reach one person usually there is a lot more than that one person you just don't see them Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean i always whenever i'm arguing a case (laughs) with a producer it's the 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 all the, the movies that we consider the classics now are the ones that no one wanted to make at the time. Yeah. You know, they said, there's no audience for Goodfellas. Casablanca, no one's going to want to watch this. You know? yeah. um, that's interesting that you said that because actually I was, I was gearing to go the other way in that um, when I think about the audience 
uh, suddenly it, it takes the attention off of myself in the process and I feel somewhat more of in service of the project. It just, I guess it stops me looking at myself because that's, I guess that's the big inhibitor for me. Um, okay. And I guess, yeah, I mean, there's like, a, you talk about audience in terms of marketplace, mm-hmm. more like audience in terms of like, who is that kid that's mm-hmm. potentially going to see this or read this or listen to this piece of music one day that's going to be touched by it. And I sort of think about them as I'm going about it. An imaginary audience or a, you know. If you think about it, like your favourite films, do they have any re- like resonance with your own life or like your own identity? I mean, there's definitely a few films that I, or books that I've always connected with where the protagonist has um, is going through emotional things that I can relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's the privilege of being a, a white man is that I see my, you know, I see people that look like me all the time. And so I'm, I don't know, I might be totally putting my foot in my mouth, but I might uh, be freer to see aspects of myself in work that's not as, what am I trying to say? It's not as guess, I'm not sure. I guess that's a really interesting question that I'm not smart enough to answer right now. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that you kind of like have to think about. Yeah. Um, because you know, when I grew up, my favorite film was Clueless. Right. Right. Uh-huh. And I just loved the vernacular. I loved the empowerment that they had about their their style, who they were uh-huh. as young women. Well, see, there's nothing on the surface there for yeah. us to relate to. Soup the uber rich. Right. Exactly. Teenagers. Yeah. Living in Cali, you know. But their struggles. Uh, relatable and universal. They're growing up. Yeah. They're, they're finding themselves. They're falling in love with their stepbrothers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is not um, not my life. Um, but, you know, like, I just remember, like, but saying that, mm. there's this one bit in Clueless at the start where she's, like, showing all the clicks and there's the Persian Mafia and you can't hang out with them unless you've got a Mercedes or a BMW. And I was like, that's hilarious. Because <laughs> that, to me, is relatable. Sure. Um... But that was the only bit, really. Like, none of it else. Not, like, none of it is relatable. But emotions, you can put that in anything. Like, mm-hmm. we watch movies about, you know, Milo and Otis. Like, mm-hmm. dogs and cats. Mm-hmm. But, like, um, but saying that, I feel like television is a different world. Well, I wanted to ask. So, you, yeah, you're, you, television is where you want to work. Why, why that medium? Um, it's more of a stable career, really. Um, <laughs> you can do multiple series, uh-huh. <laughs> um, seasons. Um, uh, I guess for me, TV has been more of a... You can really get deeper into like just conversation and the, the world mm-hmm. of the characters. Mm. It feels like more uh, novel-like mm. than, a, than a standalone movie or a, yeah. or a piece of theatre. Movies kind of seem like very like up in like this like fairyland where like mm. they live in this little box and you can't really see them outside of the box. Okay. Whereas with mov- uh, with TV shows, you know, they, they have to figure out so many different things constantly. But I think mostly it's because um, I love TV. I just grew up with a TV in front of my face. As a kid, mm-hmm. um, babysitting me as I think a lot of 90s kids did. Mm-hmm. And 80s kids, actually. <laughs> <laughs> just kids all the time. Yeah. And it's just the TVs are smaller now. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I guess it's just, I, it just 
relates to me, resonates with me. Mm. Also, one of my like idols, like the people that like the people that I was kind of like, oh my god, if she can do it, I can do it. Um, Nanashka Khan, who's like a showrunner in the US, um, who's actually Iranian born. And can you? What is what is she? She's done, in case done fresh off the boat. Um, uh-huh. She's done rule. Uh, what's that? Uh, don't trust the bitch at apartment twenty three. Oh, yeah. She created the whole thing. Right. She actually wrote Dawson Creek, like Dawson's character, James Vanderbeek. Yeah. Yeah. She wrote James Vanderbeek's um, character in there, not thinking that she, he would actually play it. Like. Okay. And then he loved it. He loved the irony of it. So right. he came and came and became a part of the show. Oh, um, but she started off at Nickelodeon doing like kids shows. She did Pepper Ann, which was like a really cool kind of eco-warrior cartoon girl who had a single mum and an androgynous younger sibling, but you don't actually know their gender the whole show, oh, that's which I think is really cool. Wow, especially I imagine for the era too. Yeah, no, So we talk in right. 90s. Yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. Um, you know, and so she just started off interning there and create like, you know, greenlighting these shows, mm-hmm. and then she became the showrunner, and then, you know, she went on to make her own show and then brought all of her mates that she'd met, like, on and, you know, started this amazing career. Wow. Of, like, making shows um, that really resonate with her. Um, and even, like, she made that Always Be My Maybe movie, which was the first movie she'd ever made. It was the Asian yeah, yeah. love story. Yeah, with the incredible Keanu Reeves cameo. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a little bit of, like, a thing that she does. Um, is showing up because uh, in Fresh Off the Boat she has DMX playing himself as well <laughs> um, and some other uh, amazing actors yeah. um, I've, I've recently re-watched it all because um, my partner's watching it for the first time and um, the last episode uh, Steve Urkel the guy that played Steve uh-huh. Urkel's in it but his name in the, sh- in the show is Kareem right. and that's Steve Urkel's um, this is really going back. Steve Urkel. Was that Steve Urkel's cool alter ego? Alter ego oh, was called Kareem. Yeah. And it was at Kareem, Kareem's car, like, lot or something. And I was like, oh, my God, there's so many underlay like, layers here. <laughs> and I was trying to explain it to my girlfriend who's, like, in her 20s. And she's just like, I don't get any of this. <laughs> I'm sitting here fanning you Yeah. But, yeah, I really enjoy that. And, um, yeah, so I was like, well, you know. They're doing it in America, or, or where you know, where really? Mm-hmm. Australia has to change, really. That's great. So there's 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 a role model that I guess mm-hmm. you you look to for inspiration. Is there anybody else? Well, I could say Desiree Akhavan, um, because she's also Iranian queer creative, um, who's um, made that, but in a no appropriate behavior. That was the name of the show, and then the bisexual which was a TV show that was on stand. Those have been on my watch list on stand for yeah. so long and I've yet to press yeah. play. All right, you've just, you've just told me what I'm watching next. It's funny because they kind of are in these different worlds, whereas Desiree's kind of humour is very dry and uncomfortable, mm-hmm. which I really love, but I also love the kind of campy, sitcom-y vibes as well. So um, I'm not sure. Like, I feel like Rules to Being a Fuck Girl is definitely going to be in the more dry uncomfortable humor yeah way, like i was going to ask about like yeah. i guess the tone of the work you want to do that's yeah but like also you've got like master of none which is kind of in the middle 
You've mm. got that kind of funny, like... A lot of heart in that show, a lot yeah. of warmth and sort of yeah. sentimental... So, I yeah, so I feel like I'll probably go more to the drier humour because of the content. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like when you're talking about sex, you can't be too cutesy about it. Sure. Um, because, you know, that's just not funny. Um, you know, awkward sex is funnier than, you know, passionate sex, um, which I guess says something about think's funny as humans <laughs> yeah. um and Desiree actually did uh, I watched an interview a Q&A um with her after appropriate behavior um screening at the Mercury um and she says that she was very fascinated with the idea of um movies always cut to the fire scene like mm. like when there's a sex scene they'll like start making out and then they'll drift over to the fire mm-hmm. and then they'll cut out and then all of a sudden they've had sex and you don't really see the weird awkwardness that happens sometimes yeah you just you just see all the i guess the, the nice yeah, yeah the yeah. nice bits of it yeah yeah so i you know when she said that i was like that's kind of funny especially when you're talking about like first like first times having sex mm. with people i think you know it's it's uncomfortable sometimes and it's kind of hilarious um, and weird shit happens and I thought, why don't we talk about this stuff? Why don't we show it on TV? So I, I really like that kind of crassness, especially from a woman of colour, especially from like a culture that, you know, traditionally we're a bit more taboo about sex and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I think that's it's really important. I remember telling my dad like the first like episode idea I had about this, you know, going to this guy's house. I literally said exactly what happened in it, including the sex scenes and stuff. And my dad was just like, that's hilarious. And I was just like, yeah. See, if I say it, if it happened to me, it would be awkward, right? But if I say my character's, you know, the character and the story, this and that, you know, you can kind of break down this barrier with your parents about talking about sex. That's really, really interesting. Yeah. The, uh, the, say, the bandwidth of, of, of fictionalizing something that really happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's, you know, that's what, why stories are so powerful. They give us all a safe space to experience things and to explore different emotions. You know, whether it's a horror film, it's a safe place to feel scared or. Yeah. Especially with when it comes to like families as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like fast forwarding through um, certain scenes. As a kid, oh, with the VHS. I had a dad, my dad covered my eyes. Through oh, it. really? He did it to me once at the cinema, <laughs> and all the girls from my school were behind me, and my dad leaned over to like cover my oh eyes. My I God. just, I died right <laughs> there in that chair. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I the first. Relate. I remember the first time we got a DVD player, and we tried. My mom tried to fast forward through a sex scene on yep. a DVD player, mm. and it didn't. It just made them fuck really fast. <laughs> 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 something that is that my goal yeah Yeah. are you looking to prompt conversations with your work or Um, is it more important to you simply to be entertaining both really Mm -hmm. i definitely wanted to be entertaining because who wants to watch something that's not entertaining like yeah yeah. uh um i guess like for me it's less about the family and it's more about that that person that's going through it like you know finding themselves and like really finding their power i think um you know even though it's about sex 
the show like on the outside it's actually more about empowerment and like knowing your worth and knowing that you're allowed to enjoy things without people telling you otherwise so I think uh you know there's more power in things that we think are taboo I can't wait I will be first in line to watch this show when it comes out (laughs) I guess bringing it back to why this, it was quite a, a a windy road, I suppose that that. It's how my brain works. Well, no, I don't just mean the conversation, but I'm going back to your trajectory. Yeah. From you know from high school to here, mm. a bit of this and a bit of that, this medium, that medium, this medium, that medium. Is there anything that you would say to your younger self from where you are now? You're allowed to not be nice to people. You, you're allowed to, like, not be nice to that person that makes you feel uncomfortable. I feel like, you know, in any, any industry, that doesn't matter if it's film or, like, arts or just, like, your, your random hospitality job, which most of us have. If someone makes you feel uncomfortable, you don't need to work with them. You don't need to pander to their needs because you feel like it's going to take you further because, really, it probably isn't and probably put you in a worse position. It's a real thing, isn't it, particularly in the arts, which feels... It, very reputation-based. I mean, I'm sure every industry sort of operates on gossip and, and yeah. people's reputations and stuff, but that, like, just suck it up because if you do a good job on this one, you, you might get recommended one. for the next one, and you yeah. can, yeah, you can sort of go down a path of personal compromise pretty quickly. 100%. I think, yeah. I think that's really, you know, I feel like we're all still learning that mm-hmm. even now, mm-hmm. you know, um, because it's all about, you know, favors and who's above you and there's this weird hierarchy that i feel like is we shouldn't we shouldn't give people respect if they're not going to give it back to you really um like what's the point you know what's the point if you know if they don't respect you they're not going to listen to you at the end of the day they're not Mm -hmm. going to give you that opportunity it's only the people that you can see actually care care about what you say and actually are giving you the time of day they're the ones that actually are going to support you um so yeah you don't have to be nice to those people good advice for life in general i think (laughs) save your energy um look i i my hope is that there's people listening to this right now who are thinking about picking up a pen for the first time or picking up a record yep and doing the scratches whatever you djs do i don't know i have no idea i don't i don't use records but good for you if you want to do that (laughs) i mean what would you say to someone who um you know keeps sitting down at that blank page and maybe getting up and procrastinating or whatever Mm, don't kick yourself for procrastinating um you know you it's never too late i guess um and also you know give yourself five minutes just sit down for five minutes and just write whatever it doesn't need to make sense it doesn't need to do anything or like you know find some music just make a little playlist on spotify or whatever just five minutes of that and you'll find that you'll find a groove um, but don't pressure yourself. I think that's the main thing when we forget is like we pressure ourselves. Like, okay, this is the time I'm putting aside an hour. I'm going to forget about everything. And then you just <laughs> sit there and you're like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. So just give yourself five minutes. I'm going to try that later today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me too. Let's see we go. <laughs> um, this has been great. This has been great. I think we can sort of um, wrap up. I guess a question about... Yeah, your, I guess your hopes for the future, where you hope to get to next and maybe uh, any thoughts about the future of the medium that you're working in. What's up next for me is yeah. um, just hopefully this year my goal is to make my web series or at least one one of the episodes mm-hmm. um, that I've got the funding for. 
Um, and then once that's done, I kind of want to try and produce a song. That's like my two goals. All right, back to where we started. Yeah. Back I really want to, wanna, I'm like, I can do that. Uh-huh. Like I listen to music and I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> easy. Anyone yeah, can easy. do it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. I don't really want to put too much um, on myself hmm. because, you know, you never know what opportunities come up and as much as you should probably say no to some things, um, it's actually quite good to say yes to a lot because, you know, it life's a really cool journey and, like, I never thought I'd be where I am right now. Um, so, yeah. Taking it like one day at a time, really. Perfect. Thanks, Nelia. Thanks for coming on our show. Thank you for having me, <laughs> And there we have episode one of Why This. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Nelia. Uh, we have a string of excellent guests coming up for you and look forward to bringing you those conversations in following episodes. For up-to-date information on everything that's happening at Nexus Arts, please visit www.nexusarts.org.au. Thanks to Arts South Australia's Recovery Fund, we are once again presenting our visual arts exhibitions online in 2021. Head to nexusartsgallery.com to experience the work of all our amazing artists. We're also thrilled to be partnering with Spark Brewery and Rose Kentish Wines this year. Come in and taste their wares at Nexus Arts venue and be sure to seek out these amazing local, socially responsible labels wherever you choose to have a drink. Talk to you next time.